You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. All right. Uh, thank you, Jake, for that introduction. Uh, good morning, River City. Uh, like Jake said, my name is Steve Peterson, and I am honored to be up here this morning to bring the Word of God to us. My wife, Cammie, and I, we've been at River City since the fall of 2009. So, OGs, I guess. Um, I remember when the church, uh, we started out, we met on Broadway in the back of a little coffee shop. I think there was probably 40 people that first service and um, so it's just amazing that we have this building talked about this morning we're going to the building project gonna finally get to that upstairs so just what God has done in this body of believers in not quite 14 years Um, Cammie and I we have three children Olivia Riley and Evelyn the girls are serving in River City Kids this morning Riley and Cammie are right down front Um, I serve on the strike team. You've maybe seen me around the back, greeting people at the door, making coffee. Um, I also serve as a deacon of building and maintenance here. My wife, Cammie, serves in River City Kids Ministry, and she serves as the deaconess of finance here. Uh, Over the years, we've also served as community group leaders and hosts. Currently, we're attending the Monday night group led by Joan Nicole Smith, hosted by Luke and Shannon Beckerman. If anyone here is looking for a community group home, please come find me after the service. I would love to plug you into our group or connect you with another group. Um, Our family has been super encouraged by River City Church and this body of believers over the years. God is good. Can I get an amen to that? Now, enough about my family. Let's talk about why I'm up here today. This morning, we will continue through our summer series from Psalms. We will look at Psalm 43 specifically today. Psalm 43 is the second psalm in the book known as Book 2, in the collection known as Book 2. This collection of psalms covers or shows people in different points of despair or worry and the paths that they travel to get out of that place of despair. I would invite you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 43. I'd also like to invite members of our strike team to please come around with some Bibles. If you need a Bible, simply place your hand up and we will get you one. Please also feel free to take this Bible home if you do not have one and consider this a gift from River City. Um, On our church Bibles, the psalm is going to be on page 268. Now, there are different views on whether Psalm 43 is simply a continuation of Psalm 42 or if it is meant to stand on its own. The psalm does not have a specific, specific heading referencing authorship apart from 42, which may lead some to believe that this is simply a continuation from the previous. It is commonly attributed to the sons of Korah due to its similarity with the psalm before it. However, through my study, I have, found, I have not found conclusive evidence either way. According to G. Campbell Morgan on blueletterbible.org, The psalm is either a part of the previous one or it is closely connected with it. In fact, in a number of ancient Hebrew manuscripts, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 
are actually joined together as one. They are probably separate psalms linked by a common problem, spiritual depression. Both psalms, 42 and 43, share similar themes and even share some identical language. We see this in Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11, and we'll see it in 43 in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. However, despite this similar language, there is no conclusive evidence to settle the debate for either viewpoint, and I will not attempt to settle it this morning either. We see here, we can see from here that the repeating language is purposeful in these two psalms, so we can acknowledge that they are connected. Let's read the text. It's also going to be on the screen behind me if you do not have a Bible or an app. And again, if you're on one of the church Bibles, it's going to be on page 268. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the ability to gather freely to worship. I humbly ask that you use me this morning to teach the truth of your word and your truth alone. Thank you for the truth of your word and the redeeming work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. The psalmist begins with the phrase, Vindicate me, O God. The psalmist in this passage is feeling unjust or feeling attacked unjustly by his enemies and is asking God for vindication in verse 1. What do you think of when you hear the word vindicate? According to uh, well, according to Merriam-Webster, it means to free from allegation or blame, to provide justification or defense for. According to Strong's Concordance on BibleHub.com, the Hebrew word for vindicate is shaphat, and in verse 1 it means to judge or govern. Vindicate, it's not a word that I hear used every day, that's for sure. Now, I also looked up the synonyms for vindicate, and I found 71 of them. A few of my favorites are as follows. Avenge, exculpate, I've never used it, but it would be worth 20 points in Scrabble. <laughs> Absolve, atone, pardon, and redeem. I want you to keep those last few in the backs of your minds this morning, as I will come back to them later. The first synonym that I referenced reminds me of one of my favorite movie series. I, along with my family, are big fans of the Marvel movies. The culmination of Marvel's phase one in their cinematic universe was the Avengers. 
These were supposed to be the Earth's mightiest heroes, with some help from a few others not from Earth. And we saw them avenging the wrongs that were happening on Earth and maybe just above our atmosphere. We followed the movies as they started with Captain America, the first Avenger, and he was eventually joined by his friends to uh, form a group called the, or that I call the Super Avengers, if you will. As, and uh, they had the final showdown with Thanos as they were with this one big group. Now, for as much power as the Avengers had in these movies, they could not do what this writer was asking of God. The psalmist in verse 1 is turning to God to totally vindicate him by God's ultimate power. The Avengers' goal was simply to defeat Thanos in the end, not vindicate anyone. Spoiler alert, the Avengers win in the end, but they do not free anyone from a charge or accusation of wrongdoing. In fact, the Avengers often created more issues when they were trying to solve their problems, and then they had to deal with those issues. So they may defeat someone, but they do not absolve anyone from everything. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed these movies, but they were just movies. God's power is so much greater than what a writer came up with for a movie. That is mind-blowing. God's vindication is perfect. He doesn't create any new problems that he now has to deal with because nothing is a surprise to him. God has the power to totally cleanse, redeem, and forgive us. The psalmist is turning to God because he knows that only God has the power to totally deliver him in his time of need. Today, we see all kinds of examples of people asking to be vindicated for all sorts of reasons. We can hire a lawyer to plead our case if accused of something, or even hire a lawyer to accuse someone of something. Our American society is constantly yearning for vindication and quick to ask the courts to settle things for us. But our idea of vindication is skewed. We have arbiters, negotiators, oversight boards, and ethics committees that are used to determine who is right and wrong in a situation. But this is very different than what Psalm 43 is getting at. When we go to others to try and settle our disputes or vindicate us, how do we ensure that we are coming from a pure heart position? If someone were to ask you about your part in a situation, in a specific situation, or how you feel you contributed, would you respond with, I know my truth? A few questions for us this morning. Are you prone to respond when accused or called out on something, even if there is some truth to it, to report or to retort back by saying, how dare? If we cannot find others to take up our case, do we try to self-vindicate or justify our actions and feelings? I have to continually be reminded not to self-vindicate, but rather go to God for vindication. I will admit, it's hard to do at times. Are we willing to look at our situation and see our part and what got us there? Now, the psalmist here is not unjustly asking for vindication nor is he trying to self-vindicate like we are prone, that we may be prone to do. He knows rightly that God is our hope and deliverer and that, that God is where he needs to go to turn and 
his time of struggle. The psalmist here is claiming innocence and asking God to deliver him from an unjust and ungodly people. It isn't until we carefully and fully examine our hearts, hopefully through earnest prayer, maybe even some time in reflection with the help of our closest people, speaking some hard truths to us, that the light should hopefully go on in our head and we start to realize that we are unable to save ourselves or change our heart posture simply because we want to or vindicate ourselves through sheer will. We can try, but it usually doesn't end well. We need to ask God to work in our hearts and change us. It is not easy at all to hear hard truths because they reveal things that might sting because they are true. Try as we might, we cannot vindicate ourselves. Our only true hope when feeling attacked and beaten down is to go to God for guidance and deliverance. Let me repeat that. Our only true hope when feeling attacked and beaten down is to go to God for guidance and deliverance. I have three main points that I want to cover this morning. The first one, God vindicates us in his perfect timing, not ours. My second point this morning, God's light and truth leads to heart change. And finally, number three, heart change leads to a desire for unending worship of God. The psalmist in verse one is earnestly asking God for vindication. He is not looking for a lawyer to settle things for him. This is not a case of him knowing his truth or responding to his oppressors with how dare. He is at the end of his rope here, broken, depressed, and feeling like he has no hope and pleading with God for help. When we are facing periods of depression, anxiety, or loss, we need to bring it to God for help like the psalmist is doing here. The writer continues in verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Did God really reject him? Probably not. But to the psalmist, it sure feels like it. When we are at our lowest and feel that all is lost, it is very easy to feel isolated and alone. I have a tendency to try to gut it out on my own during hard times, but that is probably due to pride, shame, or simply my ego. My default is to try to figure it out on my own. The good news is that God is not surprised by our pride or ego. He knows that we need deliverance and he does not want us. He does not want to see us stay in that place. He has a plan to deliver us. Now, God's timeline will probably differ from ours. We, I especially, can get impatient and want things quickly. This brings me to my first point. God vindicates us in his perfect timing, not ours. God vindicates us in his perfect timing, not ours. Our sinful hearts pull on us to desire for our will to be done on our timeline, and that is often different than what God wants for us. Waiting for anything can be hard. If you mix in suboptimal circumstances, discomfort, feelings of despair, or feeling attacked by others, it just becomes that much harder. 
Stressful situations can lead to intense anxiety. We are not built to handle that on our own. Times of struggle, depression, isolation often can push us to question God and why he is letting these things happen to us. God's timing is different from our timing because he has a perfect plan and we are not capable of fully understanding that with our human minds. The psalmist is asking God to deliver him not only from an ungodly people, but from the deceitful and unjust. Like the psalmist here, we may even ask for deliverance from ungodly people. But what if we are the ungodly people? I'm not trying to have anyone question their salvation here this morning, but I want to make sure that we are checking the motives of our hearts. The psalmist here is doing exactly that and going to God for the right reason. He knows that he is in, net, in desperate need of God. And for us, apart from Christ, even if we are good by society standards, we are that ungodly person. We cannot vindicate ourselves by our own thoughts, words, or actions. Here's another example from the Psalms that speaks about vindication and what God is doing. This comes from Psalm 35, verse 24. Vindicate me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Notice that the author, David, here in Psalm 35, is asking to be vindicated according to God's righteousness and not his own. David is asking God to, import, or to impart the judgment on his enemies that he knows only God can himself do. David realizes that he needs God and that he is powerless on his own for deliverance from the enemy. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is teaching on the parable of the persistent widow. This is Jesus speaking. And he told them a parable to the effect that they, always, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will, not God, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The widow is pleading with God in prayer, believing that God is always faithful and always works to accomplish his own will. God's vindication is not on our timeline but his own. We are vindicated by our, we are not vindicated by our own righteousness, but by his mercy. Let me repeat that because it is very easy to try and vindicate ourselves. We are vindicated not by our own righteousness, but by his mercy. This undeserved mercy leads us to turn to God and ask him not only to intervene in our circumstances, but to mold us in his image. Which leads me to point number two this morning. God's light and truth leads to heart change. God's light and truth leads to heart change. Verse three sees the psalmist ask God to send out 
his light and truth. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Light provides clarity. Light, light allows us to see things more clearly, at greater distance, and even brings flaws into focus. We have lights in our homes, cars, etc. For mobile lighting needs, we have flashlights. And they are a common tool that we carry every day, even without thinking about it. Most of us are even carrying one right now uh, with us. We probably take it for granted. Got my iPhone here. Got a flashlight on that. I use it quite a lot. Um, I think, uh, in, I don't know, they started putting flashlights in phones in the early 2000s. So think about that. For 20 years, we've had a flashlight in our phone. Um, prior to phones with flashlights installed, we relied on tra traditional flashlights, gas lanterns. And going really far back, we used fire. So think torches, <laughs> Indiana Jones style, for, for our on-the-go lighting needs. Today, I have several flashlights that help me see things. Some are not too bright. Some old ones that take like 3D batteries and maybe shine four feet in front of me. I don't know why I keep them. Um, some of my flashlights are insanely bright. Like, who needs this much light type of bright? I saw a flashlight in a store recently that advertises 12,000 lumens of light. So to put that in perspective, this morning I looked up how much lumens does a 75-watt light bulb put out? That's what most of us have in um, hallways in our, in our houses. Puts out 1,100 lumens, so about 12 times much light in this flashlight. So 12,000 lumens. That amount of light is insane, but I kind of want it. <laughs> uh, one, one reviewer of the flashlight stated, this is the brightest flashlight I've ever owned. It clearly illuminates the two acres of cleared area and woods behind my house. Uh, I don't personally have two acres in my backyard, but I bet it would come in handy while out camping. So as bright as some of my flashlights are, or the 12,000 lumen flashlight, the psalmist speaks of God's light as much brighter. His light illuminates not only our backyards, but the darkest parts of our hearts and reveals our flaws. Without the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit, it would be way too easy to not see my problem areas. The psalmist is asking God to lead him by providing light. The psalmist is asking for light to lead him to God's holy hill and to his dwelling. He is asking for not just a temporary light during his time of trouble that we see in verse 1, but rather light that will change him and lead him to God's presence. Where God dwells, we desire to be. Our eternal home is with God. The Holy Spirit is a light on our hearts to point us back towards God the Father and Christ the Redeemer. God's Word, the Bible, this is a light for us. A few uh, evidences from scripture that talk about God's light. Psalm 119, verse 105, says that your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. Psalm 80, verse 19, restore us, Lord God Almighty, 
Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Let that sink in. God's face shines on us. God has revealed himself to us. God's face, his revelation is a light for us. Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? We don't have anything or anyone to be afraid of when God is guiding us. Going back to this specific Psalm, 43, verse 3, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. God gives light to lead us, protect us, and teach us. Now, we also see that the absence of light is disorienting. Have you ever woken up probably in mid-July to a crazy thunderstorm and the power goes out and you get up from a deep sleep and there's no light and you're like, oh, this is really weird. Why should it matter? We're sleeping. But when we're used to having light, it just messes with us. It's, it's disturbing. The absence of God in our lives is also disorienting, which apart from him makes it easy for us to wander around aimlessly. This aimless wandering has the danger of allowing us to meander down a path that is not God's path for us. Only when we fix our eyes on God and strive to live for Christ are we able to put off our natural desires to go our own way and walk the path that our Father has for us. It is Jesus who declares in John 8, 12 that he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Much like a flashlight, unless we use God's light, doesn't do us any good. A flashlight has a power button on it. How do we turn on God's light? Well, first, we need to realize that we can't do it alone and go to God. Practically, opening our Bibles daily is a great start. Opening the Bible is like pressing the flashlight button on the flashlight for light. Our Bibles do us no good if they are simply sitting on our coffee table or in the bookshelf. God has revealed his ultimate truth to us through the written words in our Bibles. This is our instruction manual for our lives. Some of our Bibles even have pictures for visual learners. Children's Storybook Bible. My Bible has some charts and pictures of things in the Old Testament that really help. I'm kind of a visual learner, so I don't understand how big a tabernacle was or what is a cubit. Oh, that's this many feet or whatnot. Uh, when we are struggling and feeling that there is no hope, our first step should be to open up our Bibles and take in God's truth. God's word is a light to pierce through even the darkest of hearts. As we study our Bibles and meditate on the truths found in the pages, the light of the world will soften our hearts and change us. My third and final point this morning flows out of our changed hearts by God's perfect vindication. Heart change leads to desire for unending worship of God. Let me repeat that. Heart change leads to a desire for unending worship of God. In verse 4, we see the psalmist state, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. 
In just a few short sentences, we see the psalmist go from asking for vindication to looking ahead to approaching the altar of God and praising him with the lyre. He is yearning for deliverance so that he can put away the feelings of isolation and return to worshiping God. This is not a case of do this for me and then I will praise God. No, this is an outpouring of the heart because of what God has done and what God is capable of doing. In our culture today, praise is often thrown around for all sorts of things. We offer praise to encourage others, to build others up, reinforce after success on the athletic field, success at school, think Dean's List, academic letter, or reinforcement for a job well done at work. I've seen pocket praise cards handed out where specific events are given recognition at work. I think I've even received a few over the years. I'll be honest and say that those small moments of validation from my boss or coworkers felt really good. As humans, we love validation. Praise on a human level is often also seen as raises, awards, gifts, or maybe even that simple card. These types of praises are often short-lived, however, and we are constantly working to do something else to achieve more praise. Praise feels good. It gives us some endorphins, that little boost that maybe makes us feel taller, smarter, more handsome even. Sometimes we may even be prone to offer praise to ourselves. An old SNL skit, Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley, had him looking in a mirror and saying, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now, while this satirical sketch pokes fun at the lengths we go to offer ourselves self-praise, it also brought to light how this type of praise is fleeting and the resulting daily affirmations needed to reinforce those good feelings for ourselves. Worship at the altar of God is a much bigger deal than receiving praise from others or ourselves. When we offer our praise to God the Father, we are worshiping at his altar. An altar to God is also known as God's table. This is where the Israelites gave their sacrifices to God so they could be reconciled with God. They were given very specific instructions about how, when, and why to make sacrifices. The tabernacle held an altar where the priest would bring the sacrifice for the people. The psalmist here is yearning to approach the altar of God, which he says is his exceeding joy, and he is going to praise him with the lyre. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to yearn to approach God's altar with exceeding joy? Now, I don't know how to play the lyre, um, I heard that Brian Kaufman may know how to play the lyre or is willing to learn, so we can maybe look forward to that someday. So I don't know how to play the lyre, but in my mind, I see the psalmist rocking out with the lyre, tears of joy streaming down his face because he gets to praise God. He is overcome with emotion with what God has done for him. Are we moved to worship with exceeding joy? Do we rejoice in the idea of entering God's marvelous light 
lifting our hands and spinning around in unending praise to our Father in heaven. The psalm ends in verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We also see here that verse 5 is repeating what we saw twice in Psalm 42. This is the connection between the two psalms that I mentioned earlier. This is where I I think the psalmist is doing some self-preaching, as I refer to it. He is reminding himself that he doesn't need to stay stuck in the feelings of despair because God has him covered. God alone is his hope and salvation. Now, when I started my message this morning, I asked you to keep a few synonyms in the back of your minds. Atone, pardon, redeem. These synonyms for vindicate immediately turned my mind to Jesus. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were offered to God to atone for their sins. To atone for something is different than simply vindication. Atone means to make amends or reparation for a crime or other offense. An action is implemented to cover the offense. The Israelites brought something of value that was their best and offered it as a sacrifice to God. We saw that they brought animals, the best, not the runt of the litter or the one that was sick, grain, and money. This was a continual process for them to cover their repeated sins. For us, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to cover our sins in a one-time, it-is-finished sacrifice. He did this freely to pardon us from sin and to redeem us as God's people. Unlike Jesus, or unlike us, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted by sin, but he did not sin. The Father did not look at Jesus and say, eh, I guess I can offer him as a sacrifice. No, the Father offered up his sinless Son because that is what it took to redeem his people. God sacrificed his best for us. The perfect man became the perfect sacrifice that God would use to redeem his people. By his sacrificial death and resurrection from the grave, Jesus vindicated sinful humanity, making them fully righteous before a holy God. How awesome is that? That's what I hope you take away from Psalm 43 as I close this morning. I want to remind all of us that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that God sent to vindicate us. Through him, we do not need to do anything other than simply place our faith in the work of Jesus on the cross and trust that it covers our sins. Our faith in Christ then leads to changed hearts and a longing to live our lives as living sacrifices to God out of the joy for what he has done. We live for Christ not out of feeling compelled, but because we get to. This is an appropriate heart response as we rejoice at the altar of God. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that David and so many others in the Old Testament had longed for. We no longer need to yearn for the coming of a Savior, but rather we now yearn to be with our Father in heaven where there is no sin. In heaven, we will be like the psalmist in 43 and go to the altar of God, who is our exceeding joy, and praise him with the lyre whenever we want.
I pray this morning that we can take heart that Jesus is our hope and our joy. It is true that life is often difficult and dark, but we don't need to continue to justify, defend, or vindicate ourselves. Because Jesus has vindicated us, we have hope that he will guide us through the dark and deliver us fully. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your continuous pursuit of us as fallen people, desperately in need of a Savior. We rejoice in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you for not giving up on us as we too often get distracted from the majesty of your glory and try to go through life on our own. We were reminded this morning that we, that only you have the power to vindicate us from our enemies and oppressors. I ask you to go before us this week and keep our hearts and minds fixed on you as we fight against our tendencies to try and self-vindicate. You offer perfect vindication through your son, Jesus Christ. Change our hearts to desire continual worship of you alone. We love you, Father. Amen.